Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week I'm looking for the best book about gender. As recommended by Lithead Lori. To help me are two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Hi, Nick. My name is Joe Holshu. I'm a high school English teacher. And if you're looking for a book about gender, I brought probably the first book about gender I was ever familiar with. Um, I didn't read it until this last week. Uh, it is Middlesex by Jeffrey Eugenides. Eugenides. I'm going to say Eugenides. <laughs> Nick, Eugenics? Yeah, well, Nick, you're Greek. This is a Greek name. Ooh, Jeffrey yeah. Eugenides. Just add some vowel-y sounds Eugenides. Uh, it was written in 2002, and I have a lot to say about it. Nice. Uh, greetings, male Nick. Hopefully. Greetings, male Joe. Greetings, Lidheads. I don't know your gender, so I'm just going to refer to you as Lidheads, if, you're, if that's okay. Right, right now, I am a man, a high school English teacher man, a Dr. Ian DeYoung man, and mm-hmm. this week, man, did I bring a book about gender. <laughs> <laughs> I brought returning a uh, book by returning champion... Ursula K. Le Guin. Oh my goodness. Left Hand of Darkness. This is turning into, for a while, that had, this, was, this was in danger of tipping over into the Cormac McCarthy show, but I think Ursula K. Le Guin has at least righted the ship and possibly wrested control back <laughs> from John McPhee, back from Cormac McCarthy. We yeah, are, this yeah. is our reigning champ. Is it third Firmly. or fourth book? I think the seven, 17th book. 17th book. Okay. Excellent. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely (laughs) enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. (laughs) Who who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. Oh, let's let's just jump right on in, guys. I'm not qualified to talk about gender, and frankly, the topic makes me scared to even talk about. Is that okay to say? It's okay to say. Is yeah, I'm scared so. too. I'm I scared. So. Well, I think I think that the the um, the alternative would be imagining yourself supremely qualified. It's <laughs> <laughs> like okay, the qualified you know, one today. There's a there's a really great moment in uh, one of the the C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia books where. A character is asked, "Are do you think you're you you're ready to be the king?" And he's like, "Heck no! I'm t- I I I have all these flaws." Yes. And then he's told, "Well, because you know you have these flaws, that shows you're ready to lead." Um, I think I think a similar thing applies here Ian, because my, because my name is Nick Archeris and I'm a scared white man, <laughs> <laughs> and that makes you. I so you should that. buy a gun. <laughs> Talk about or, buy a gun. <laughs> or possibly to be king. I'm not sure which. The metaphor has kind of gotten away from me here at this point. <laughs> mm. uh, all right. Laurie wrote this in. Uh, Laurie batted, uh, batted a thousand today uh, with a theme and two book recommendations. Litheads, listen up. Listen really up. Bring in the whole package. Oh, 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 and not just that, not just that, but two books, which I had already read Left Hand of Darkness and mm. Joe was already familiar with Middlesex. So mm. like this is the way it should be. This yeah. this was about as easy as it gets. Great. What is what does Laurie say? What does Laurie say? Uh, Laurie wrote this in uh, recent. Uh, OK, The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula K. Le Guin. Le Guin, a scientific classic in which a human like us is sent on a mission to a planet on which people are not one sex or the other, but alternate between but alternate between both. Incredibly written, not only a fascinating universe, but also a captivating story. Makes uh, makes you travel to places that you didn't know existed and think about gender and sex in a whole new way. 
That's just the first book. That's just left Mari's showing us how it's done here. That's wow. heads. Um, second book, Middlesex, by Jeffrey Eugenics. Eugenides. Oh, boy. If you typed in eugenics, it would come up. Certainly, he's not someone <laughs> who could listen to this podcast and be bothered by the fact that we're mispronouncing his last name is eugenics. Okay. What is it actually? It's eugenides. It's eugenides. For sure, eugenides. Yeah. Eugenides. That sounds Greek. That sounds, sounds super Greek. Greek. Yes. That was the joke that Joe made several yeah. minutes ago. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, a fictional uh, autobiography. That's an interesting start. A fictional autobiography <laughs> of an intersex man who grew up as a girl until his condition was discovered. A very original and entertaining story. It is an interesting look into the life of a little known category of people, people who, people with disorders of sex development, a.k.a. intersex. Uh, both of these books offer an interesting take on gender and sex and fur and furthers the reflection we've maybe all had before. What if I were the other sex? Man, I, so I feel like that's the show right there. I mean, she's done yeah. a really good job presenting yep, both it. books. And honestly, you know, that's pretty so much it. Lit heads, you, you can just pick a winner. Nick. <laughs> go on to another Ursula K. Le Guin episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't worry. They're easy to find. Uh, well, welcome. Lit heads. The you don't know lit a weekly as we call it strongly podcast for every week. We bring two book recommendations. Well, Ian and Joe do. I don't do much no, of anything. No, he does. <laughs> no. Somebody did to... ask me today, actually, what you do on the what show. Do you do? <laughs> what, what do you do? What do you say do here? Just today, they said, what? So wait, Nick doesn't read any of the books they said? And they said it just like that. He doesn't read Mm-mm. any of the books. And I said, well, no, no, he doesn't read any of the books, but he does edit the show every week. And mm-hmm. if that was my job, this show would not exist. So I'd like that's to, great. I'd like to think I bring the intangibles. The, intang- <laughs> the <laughs> immeasurable. Uh, Litheads, I'm doing a bit of a jazz hands right now. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, we have some rules to keep you on track. Rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers, preferably uh-huh. none. Rule number two, omit needless words, Joe. Omit needless words, Joe. Uh, and rule number three, only winning matters appropriate because it's football time now and the guy who said that <laughs> was a football yeah. man so yeah yeah i think if you're looking Rogers. for litheads if you're looking for a connection to your lives there it is there, there is the is. relevance your football lives yep great joe you have 30 seconds to tell me exactly what your book is about exactly. and it better be compelling as fuck Nick, I was born twice. First as a baby girl on a remarkably smogless Detroit day in January of 1960, and then again as a teenage boy in an emergency room in Petoskey, Michigan on August of 1974. My birth certificate lists my name as Calliope Helen Stephanides. My most recent driver's license records my name simply as Cal. These are the opening lines of Middlesex, the 2002 Pulitzer Prize, Pulitzer Prize winning novel from Jeffrey Eugenides. It's a book I picked up 15 years ago and I couldn't get past the first chapter. <laughs> I picked it up again this week on a recommendation of Lithead Laurie and I could not put it down. Ooh. It is very Greek. It is very Ooh, long. Nice. It is very literary and it is very, very good. It is very I have a physical Greek. copy. Okay, wow yeah. we never see that. real books on nope. this podcast a physical copy half price books seven dollars yeah. i paid for this book Man, I'm and that was in books. 2010 money <laughs> wow just think of how much it's worth now ian yes 
How much is your book worth? <laughs> My book is priceless. Okay, tell me what on it's about. On the planet Gethin, which is a classic ice planet a la Hoth and so forth, the inhabitants have no fixed sex. Sometimes they're biologically male. Sometimes they're biologically female. Mostly, they're neither. Understandably, when a human ambassador is sent to Gethin, he struggles to comprehend this brave new world. In The Left Hand of Darkness... Ursula Le Guin examines what concepts of gender do to society and imagines a world without such concepts. I kind of like... Joe, you're starting first. Kind of like Laurie's. Okay. Laurie's is, is as good as mine. Laurie's is much yeah. better than both of Laurie. yours, by the way. What's it called? Middlesex. 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 I've never, I don't think I've ever heard this term before. Well. Is it a term or do, is nope. it a coined term? <laughs> it's okay. not a term. It's, Got it? It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a reference. It's a bit of a, right? <laughs> like a, like Middlesex, but it's also like a place that you could be Middlesex and like maybe okay. in a state in the, in the book called Middlesex. I'll start at the beginning. I want to start by saying that this book is, it's not what I thought it was going to be, Right. It's billed as a, uh, what did Laurie say in her, in her thing? A fictional autobiography. autobiography yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is a, a fascinating, a fascinating, um, fascinating genre. genre, right? Fascinating genre. And like, I can't think of another one. I guess I'm sure they do exist, but, but, um, but this yeah. could even be its own theme. Perhaps Laurie has stumbled upon another recommendation. Laurie's batting better than a thousand. She's at yeah. like 1100, right? Her OPS is, is We yeah, don't do math here, but yeah. <laughs> so this book isn't what I thought it would be. When I read about this book, and I've been familiar with this book, it, it, it was a big deal kind of when I was in college, actually. So I was in college in the early 2000s. I was studying literature. This book was a recent Pulitzer Prize winner. This book was like in the air when I was in school. And it's billed as a book about this intersex person, right? Like this is an autobiography, a fictional autobiography about an intersex person and their journey, right? When I picked up this book and read it this last week, um, I thought it was so much more than that. So Nick, let me, this book comes to you in four parts and there's actually four books inside of this bigger book. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. You, uh, as said by you or in the book, no, they're no, no, no. Like defined. there's actually sections that are like, this is now section book one. two. Yeah. Section like here, like there, look at book. No, I believe two. you. You don't have okay. to show me. No, well, I have this prop with me today. Copy. So I'm just going to keep showing you the book. Okay. The first chapter, like the first, the first section of this book is not about Cal at all. It is about Cal's grandparents living in a, a, a tiny mountain village um, farming silkworms in Greek-occupied Turkey. Wow. That's a sentence by itself. This is very Greek. It's right wild. Away. It's very Greek. It talks about their love story, how they fall in love. They, uh, Cal's grandparents are biological siblings. They are brother and sister living in this tiny village. Okay. They fall in love. Not in this a good village. look for the Greeks right now. Okay. <laughs> they fall in love while the Turkish army is invading. Or these two things uh, happen kind of simultaneously. Yes. The, in the Turkish book. scum. The Keep Turkish going. army takes back a large piece of Turkey, um, basically the entire Western piece of Turkey, Committing including genocide. things like Istanbul, which famously was once Constantinople. Um, mm -hmm. It became Istanbul again in this book. And they flee to the coast, right? Upon fleeing to the coast, um, they, they, they fall in love. They get married aboard a ship to America. 
etc. Book one is about the grandparents. Book two is about Cal's parents. Cal's parents are Next second gen. cousins. Next generation, second cousins. Right? Oh, wow. Okay. It's this about is a bit of a love story in Detroit. Family story. Okay. Book three is very much about Cal growing up, coming We're going in the right direction, though, right? Yep. They're a little bit further apart. That's nice. Yep. Getting better. Yeah. Cal, Cal's story, the Cal, book three is about Cal's own story, coming of age, growing up, not realizing that she is intersex, basically until she hits puberty and then realizes... I am not like other girls, like like the things that are happening to other girls when we hit puberty are absolutely not happening to me. Book four is Cal dealing with that realization from basically the ages of 14 until young adulthood. So a few things that we could pick up on here, right? One of it, we could talk about incest, right? One of it, we could talk about, right? (laughs) Like so many other episodes of You Don't Know Lit, we could talk about incest. Keeps coming back to it somehow. <laughs> it turns out here that the incest is important because <laughs> it's always important. Let's start, can, we, can, can we can we recut can we recut the intro and include that blip? Yeah, it turns out incest is important. <laughs> I think we'll open with that from now on. <laughs> I don't know. I really, I do. you know how shows like update their, their intros and yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then it's like weird. Mm-hmm. It's like the, it's like BC, it's you know, everything before. Oh, it it yeah. like defines eras of the show. Yeah. It's, oh, it's, yeah, era, yeah, yeah, sure, it's sure. the eras tour basically. Yeah. Yes. Yep. What were we talking about? Ah, uh, yes. How? Incest. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It turns out that incest is important here because Cal has a mutation on her fifth gene that led to her being intersex. This is a real condition. Uh, This is a fake autobiography, but this is a real condition. It's a condition that people have. Um, And it requires this family saga to kind of explain how Cal became the way that she early in the book, he later in the book, but came to be the way they are. So this is like a, a, you're saying in the real world, biological, scientifically proven that this is this yep, can happen th- this is not fake fiction made up by jeffrey eugenides this Good. is not this is I not fake stuff it when they lie to me I need nope, the this truth. is real fiction um, in which yes this is a this is an actual way that people are born intersex are born with ambiguous genitalia this is refreshing because oftentimes when you're talking about um when you're talking about like uh Literary fiction that brings in incest, it's not really like it's presented in this like, ooh, we're artsy. What do we think about this? This sounds like it's saying, no, nah, man, these people have genetic mutations because their grand great grandparents were siblings. Like it yep, is it, it's coming. It sounds like it's coming down strongly, at least from a biological standpoint, against interbreed inbreeding. <laughs> <laughs> well, Which more well, books I mean, ought to come down and out with well, the stance on Well, it's not even that necessarily, though. It's okay. more presented as just matter of fact, right? Like, okay. for example, like when the grandparents like meet, when they fall in love, when they have children together, etc. Like, we see their love story. Like, we see like the young man, like grandpa coming of age and trying to court the other girls in the village. But like, there's only two of them that are really marriageable age. And one of them has a mustache. And and he's like, I, I don't know. I really just super like hanging out with my sister. Like we have a ton in common. We, we, we ha- have a shared history. Um, and like the sister here, 
takes like a decent amount of convincing and it probably wouldn't have happened at all if their village hadn't been burned down and they like got on a village to on a boat to America where they could be anonymous and not be brother and sister and things like that. So like when you see the love stories here, like there's no judgment involved. It's kind of matter of fact and it's kind of sweet. And we see the grandma's like guilt about it and how the grandma was very hesitant to have children because like, Jesus, like, let's put it this way. In the village that they came from, interbreeding was not a rare thing, right? Like they they knew what happened when brothers and sisters like would breed with each other, right? Like you could see what would go on over generations and generations. But it's presented in a very matter of fact way. Same thing as the love story between mom and dad, right? Like the second cousins, their love story is like pretty genuinely touching. And yeah, they know that they're second cousins, but that's not that close, right? There's so much I like about this. I liked about this book, reading it this week. Some of it is the secret learning, which we've talked about a lot on this show before, right? Like when when that family is fleeing Greece-occupied Turkey and the Turks are marching to the coast and everybody crowds into the town of Smyrna, uh, today it's is Izmir, we see what happens. And we see like this war between the Turks and the Greeks. And we see... Uh, genocide of an entire like uh people we see like a city a beautiful city burned down to the ground by the turkish army and we see um all of these naval destroyers sitting in the harbor and the turks and the and the greeks are all sitting here going oh it's fine like everybody is here they won't let anything happen but then we also see that those naval destroyers are just there to protect their trade interest and mm, they just pull up anchor cool. and they leave and like the town gets massacred. And it's one of those things that you read in a book and you're like, this story is wild. And then you go on Wikipedia and you're like, and it's true. Oh right. my God. Right? right. Like it sounds like there's a significant amount of like metaphors and foreshadowing and oh and my like, god how do you even like what does this book boil down to is it more of a story about understanding this kind of personal uh journey that this this person's taking or is like what what is the yep. so it sounds like there's quite a few takeaways in quite a few different areas it covers so so boil yeah. it down for us <laughs> make it one story joe <laughs> this this story is absolutely a buildings roman like this is cal's oh, story yes. late blooming buildings roman <laughs> congratulations buildings roman i like to imagine someone listening to the show for the first time and being like why are they so excited about a buildings roman <laughs> Go ahead. It's, a very, Go ahead, it's just very exciting. No, this like this is very much Cal's story. Like, and I think especially in the second half of this book, when it really, really becomes Cal's book, and we're hanging out with Cal, we're confused. We're as confused as Cal is, right? Like, Cal sure. is a girl. Like, Cal has no reason to suspect she is not a girl, right? Cal has ambiguous genitalia. Cal is raised as a girl. Cal does girl things, right? And then she hits puberty and like she doesn't develop at all. And she starts getting taller and more muscular and hits puberty like a boy. She fails to have her period in puberty, things like that. Um, and you start going, 
what the heck is going on here? And you get to see Cal kind of going, what the heck is going on here, right? Like we get to see her love interests. We get to see her first super awkward and then kind of later kind of sweet forays into romantic relationships um, with with friends of hers and friends brothers of hers and things like that. Like we are right there. Like we have a front of a first row seat with Cal as she figures this out, which as a reader reading about something that like, frankly, I knew nothing about right, it. I mean, just right. nothing about it. it is. It was fascinating. Right. And not fascinating in like a voyeur, voyeuristic right, right. way. Right. I think there's a, a tendency towards kind that. Like gender not, tourism. Like let's, let's find out about these people. Yeah. Not to fascinating in a voyeuristic way, but fascinating in a way where it's like, wow, I really like Cal. Cal is smart and funny. And the whole book, by the way, is narrated by an older Cal who really is like confident and self-assured and has figured things out in a lot of ways. Right. And, and super likable. So like you're rooting for Cal the whole time, you know, that it turns out okay for Cal, but boy, you go through the, uh, the wilderness with her the whole time you're reading this. One of the questions that you have is like, what the heck does ambiguous genitalia mean? Right. And it's talked about in very poetic language for most of this book, like for the first for the first two and a half books. Right. Like we get like forest metaphors and tree and like all this stuff like to talk about. Okay, that's what you don't want to do. I mean, that, that did cross my mind sometimes. I'm like, I should just like start looking at some images here. But I'm like, I don't really want to. Right. Like, But at a certain point, like Cal figures out that. But they are intersex. Cal goes to an intersex specialist. This is 1975 and in terms of the book. And we start to get very medical descriptions of exactly what that means, like exactly how Cal developed, exactly how that means. And it does kind of satisfy a curiosity. It does satisfy like, oh, I like it's a clinical description, but I get how intersex works. Like I read this book. I understand how it worked. Uh, Joe, what gives this author the right? Um, yeah, so yeah, this this, this it's, it's a pretty unique kind yeah. of topic. With a name like I'm going to be I'm going to be a little bit profiling here. With a name right. like Eugenides, I think they're probably okay talking about Greek stuff. Sure. Right. So he's got that the Greek seems, stuff covered. That seems covered. okay. Like let's let's get that one out of the way. Is he trying to make it okay for other people to marry their sisters and cousins? <laughs> that's that's the secret agenda. That's the real agenda. That's the secret <laughs> Greek agenda for the last oh, two thousand years. Greek. Uh huh. Okay. If you know, it's not not clear. This is okay for us to be saying because Nick is. That's that. right. I am Greek. First, it's okay. First, we must start with an orgy. <laughs> <laughs> So I really loved this book. That's Greek history the for you. The author is a very like, this book is very, is literature with a capital L. Like it is filled with illusion. It is filled with metaphor. It is filled with like, like all sorts of stuff that you kind of go, oh, I think something's going on here. Like this feels thematically resonant. The author in the in what I've read about him, he is a literary author with a capital L. And when you read interviews with him, he talks about the stuff that I mean, look, I'm predisposed to find this stuff interesting. He talks about stuff that I find 
tedious when talking about literature. Mm. He talks about like he talks about Let's form. He it. talks about narrative voice. He talks about like this stuff, and, and it's all very intellectual and very much like, oh, well, I was trying to do this, and this was my experiment in this. Joe, let um, me clarify. I meant yes. specifically about this topic of Middlesex. Yeah, I understand. Is okay. he so? So is he? Is he intersex? No, he is not intersex. People have asked him that. Like people are like, hey, this book feels like really close to home like this book yeah. feels personal in a lot of ways and he's like no 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 no." he's like no i'm 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 biologically he has male. no connection to to I, that topic i you have just- no connection to this topic i am super greek my grandparents did grow up in greek occupied turkey so there are autobiographical yeah, elements that part covered. in this yep yeah um but he's like it was very much like me trying to choose a narrator who could speak about the masculine and feminine experiences in an unbiased way. He he explicitly says that at some point, right? Interesting. I wanted to observe the world in a way that is untinged by masculinity, that is untinged by femininity, right? That's what he talks about. And he says, and Cal is my narrator. And he says, by the way, this is a Greek tradition, right? Like, you know, you've heard the word hermaphrodite. This is a word that has felt fallen out of favor, but this is the child of the love God, um, Aphrodite and Hermes, right? Like, and it is half man, half woman, right? Um, he, he says like, look, this story is far from my own experience. And I had to read medical case files. Like I, I had to, you know, like research this. He actually says that this book came, it originated, he had read an 18th century autobiography from a, it's old, from a nun living in a convent who was intersex. And he said, I read it and it was interesting, but it was really unsatisfying because she never talked. They never talked about what it actually meant, like what it felt like to be intersex. And they never talked about like, how that physically worked. And he says, so I kind of set out to write the book that I wanted that autobiography to be. Well, I feel like, so this is, this is kind of gets to Laurie's question for the three of us actually it was directed at, at um, Joe and Ian, not mm-hmm. you, Nick, no one cares. Yeah, you, you yeah, yeah, one Nick, don't don't I think, I think answer. the idea of gender is so baked into our sense of the world um, our understanding of ourselves that even even when we're when we try to be consciously aware of it, we benefit from it or we're 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 we're, we're um, slowed down by it in in different ways. So the idea of what would a world without uh, without a set gender identity be a world where you, you you're not looking at it from masculine or feminine perspectives? I, it's it's it's. I was really shocked by this book. I really loved this book. It's a book that I wanted to hang out in, a book that I looked forward to picking up, a book that felt 18th century in the way that um, uh, the Cider House rules, right? Like he talked about how he writes 18th century novels and they're like atmospheric. You want to be in them. They feel like when the characters walk out of the scene, like these tiny side characters, like when they walk off the page out of the scene, that they have a fully realized life, you know, like off the page that you're just not seeing. It is super well written. It feels super smart. It's full of secret learning. Um, And Nick, this is this is my last one to you. There is an erotic scene in this book that heavily involves the use of a clarinet. 
Why and is that for me? What the hell? Because <laughs> that's I, not my because thing. Because Nick, because Nick, <laughs> the Nick doth protest too much. Me, if thinks. I win this week, I've got a pretty great quote to read. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> Joe! I play the drums. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, what did you bring? I brought a book called Tell the, Left, me about your book. the Left Hand of Darkness. And this is a book that I had read previously um, many, many times, as a matter of fact. And it's one oh, that wow. I recommend. Um, uh, it's one of my, possibly one of my favorite science fiction books. Um, I think the best comparison I have is like a Star Trek episode. And I'm not a Trekkie. Perfect. Um, <laughs> not a, not a I'm not a Trekkie, but I, I understand generally the, the beats. Um, yeah, of a, there's of space, there's a ship. Space, there's, there's a ship. Like two big ones. There's space and a ship. No, in Star problem. Trek, in Star Trek, as I understand it, um, there are recognizable anchor point characters. There are characters yeah. that... Luke that, Skywalker. Yeah, mm-hmm. classic Gandalf. You know, these guys... <laughs> hilarious <laughs> harold potter um mm-hmm. you have your anchor point characters that are kind of like we we can identify with them they are sort of like they are us they're they are the humans um usually mostly human or humanoid um and they're the people as the world is as the the new world is seen through their eyes we are also seeing the world along with them and this character or set of characters visits a strange new culture and the similarities and especially the differences offer a commentary on our reality. This, this is sort of a familiar, a familiar science fiction move. Uh, and Star Trek does this a lot and other others do as well. Um, and this story does that you've got, you've got a, a main, a main ambassador. He's a human as Laurie so eloquently said, he goes to this planet and on this planet, he knows he's not surprised to discover, but on this planet, Nobody has a set biological sex. Everyone is non-sexual, not asexual, but non-sexual, except for... What's the difference? Asexual refers to a preference um, or uh, a non-sexual. Oh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm saying specifically like they don't have biological sex. I see what yeah. you're saying. Yep. And then at a certain point, so for 24, 24 days out of the the, the cycle... They they're they're non-sexual. And then at a certain point, oh, they no. either become male, biologically male, oh. or they become biologically female. I thought you were gonna say orgy. Yeah, no, no, no. There's there's no, orgy. This is, this is a this is a culture which doesn't really have they're much Greek. of that. Uh, but the 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 uh, uh Le Guin has like puts this society, this 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 culture, these cultures forward. There, there are two cultures on this on this planet. Um, all the people are like this. And she says, okay, this is a world which is not built around sort of the ma- the, 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 the familiar binary of men versus women. So what happens when... Oh my goodness. Some sort of utopia, I would imagine. Well, this is the thing. You're skipping <laughs> oh. way ahead in my notes. So like, I think Le, <laughs> okay. Le Guin is... Le Guin is, Le Guin is, a, is a voyager on her own. She is always looking oh, for like Star Trek. utopias. So I brought the book The Dispossessed a long time ago. And this is... Her, she's trying to say this is a utopia here's how we could make it work joe what's the book you brought recently from Le Guin? um i brought the, the word, word for f- world is forest the word for world is forest boy no. that was a pop quiz i was not nice expecting and that. you got yes. it you aced it you crushed it word for world is forest is another one of these where yeah. you've got she she sets up a society 
which is similar to ours, but mm-hmm. there are enough differences that we they begin the, the differences begin to kind of like offer a commentary on our reality. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's when they traveled across the universe to get more sticks. Yes, yes, yes. To get more wood, they yes. needed to build stuff. And, that's really <laughs> critical. <laughs> and we need sheep, and we need the settlers' Catan joke. Yes, in the word for world yes. is forest. Um, she is she's doing the same thing. She's like, what if Ewoks? What if Ewoks? That's a utopia. Now she's saying with with this story. She's sort of questing for a, a, a utopia as regards gender. Is the question like, okay, so what if we were all the same in that regard? What would happen? So is this kind of, it, I mean, so I guess is, is, is what happens probably the end of the book, I would assume here, right? No, see, that's a thing. And I think, I think Lori gets at this in her, in her, uh, her, her summary. I almost said 30 second plot because it's, <laughs> yeah. So yes, there is incredible world building here. And like, I am absolutely scratching the surface here. There's a ton of world building. I'm just going to rattle some things off, which I will not talk about further. Um, but this is other pieces, no further questions. other no pieces of, questions. of this world, which like are also fully realized. And like Joe says, we don't have time to discuss them all. Psychic dreamers who have learned to forecast the future by taking Love drugs it. and getting answers to wrong, the wrong questions, an intricate and untranslatable code of honor that governs everyone. And by the way, different people, different cultures interpret it differently. Um, These feel like bigger factors for a utopia than gender. <laughs> <laughs> well, it all works together, right? So if you can't yeah, okay. say socially, right, with the with the with the shift the 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 honor, the code of honor, if you can't say, well, you're uh, you're you're a man, so you're higher in the gender hierarchy. You're a woman, you're lower. You've got to order the hierarchy somehow. Human beings sure, have, yeah. um, for for I'm not going to say for better or for worse. For worse, human beings who have organized our society on gender hierarchies, that's been bad. So this is like, well. People will still want to do hierarchies. What happens if it's not based on gender, but it's based on being offended by the way someone talks to you or the way someone looks at you. Mm-hmm. And that's why I kind of hedge when I say this is utopia because she, this is not, this is not this, the dispossessed. This is not like, and then they didn't have gender and everything was perfect. Yeah. I get, so how much is, uh, you know, sometimes we pick a, themes here on you don't know lit a little loosely mm. uh not always an overt <laughs> message in these books related to the theme uh how much is this i guess actually about like gender commentary and how much it is just like a sci-fi book um so so i, I would say there's not I'm, a wrong answer here don't, don't i'm not going to give you a percentage i would say you if you read this book, give me a you, mathematical <laughs> equation 79 percent. if Got you read it. this book and you did not get the gender piece, um, I would say you probably didn't read this book. Um, as, I was, as I was looking around, reading around this book, I was, I just was discovering this is part of a larger kind of universe she worked on, actually the same sort of fictional universe that the word for World is Forest yeah. is set in, and the Dispossessed. It's the Hainish, the Hainish cycle. And in her Hainish books, the Hainish um, that, uh, cycle is, the, is the, the galaxy that, in these books, she's always doing two thought experiments. And the one is, how far apart can we make people and they're still human? So there's a there's a the the, the kind of common the common uh, fiction for this this universe is that everyone is descended from the same kind of biological stock, but as you go to different planets and you adapt, you you become very very different. So the one the thought experiment that's persistent across all these books is. How, what, what are the boundaries of human and every other book? I'm uh, sorry. The th- other thought experiment varies from book to book. Word for world is forest is about ecology and Vietnam. 
This book is about gender. It's about what happens when um, you have a kid and then both of you revert back to the non-sexual um, phase. Who changes the diapers? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Who's the mom? Who's the dad? Could like one person be the mom for one kid and then one the, the other person be the mom for the next kid? Um, this is written in the 70s, I think. I was going to ask, was, when did this come out? Yeah. So this is written, this is written sort of before. 50 years ago this is written before the modern era a time when it's become i think a lot more acceptable for things like parenting to be to be shared between the parents um when we can question things like you know who is who is getting time off of work when kids are born um what now it's nobody (laughs) now it's no yeah that's it's gone down for everybody what what is what is how how does gender drive attitudes towards violence or crime or sort of dominance? So one of the, one of the amazing like weird little pieces about this 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 world, the story is he's like, oh yeah, no one no one commits sexual assault in this world. Um, the way this world is set up, it just it doesn't happen. Um, that makes sense. So, so right, yeah, and and like she, <laughs> hey, she sort of also seems nice. Right, like, seems <laughs> seems like pretty good. A good science fiction, I think, takes takes a a key fact about our world. And says, yes, but what if not? Or what if different? And I think this is a really fascinating ex- examination of what if not only were the not, not what if the gender roles were reversed yeah. or what if people had different gender roles, but what if there were no gender roles? Well, hey, can you briefly like what is the story? Yeah, so this is the other piece I haven't really like and and Lori gets to this. Uh, the story is incredible. This guy, um, his name is Genley. He goes, he's 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 a he's a um uh Terran, he's he's Earth analog. He goes to this this world, this ice world, Gethin. And uh the name the name Gethin in their language means winter. Um their summer is like I think two months long. Um the rest of it is just socked in. Uh, Hoth from Star Wars, basically. Um, Hoth from Star Wars. He goes there and his job is to convince this world, the two two cultures that make up this world, to join the Galactic Alliance, basically. He is sent by the Galactic Alliance and his job, and like they're not invaders. They're not going to shoot you up and make you like bow the knee. He has to persuade them first that the Galactic Alliance exists and is a thing. Second, this is very nerdy. This is unbelievable. I I love it. I I just like my lights just turned on. I'm like, how does he do it? How does he convince them? This is is the other beautiful thing, right? Because so I mean, I've ranted about this before. So much of science fiction is is militarized. It's like, let's solve Mm. the problem with light light guns and 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 gun swords and such. Yeah, let's stab. Let's stab the problem. What if science fiction looked more like a peace talk? Like what if science fiction looked more like an emissary to your land? Right. And 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 so his story, his story probably wouldn't do good at the box office. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this was this was uh, maybe not a a box office uh, smash, but it (laughs) It won the Hugo and the Nebula, which is basically like sweeping. It's like sweeping the Oscars. Let's put it again. In this in this book, the attempt to convince a somewhat backward culture—they don't have space travel yet—that there are aliens, that aliens are are kind and nice and good, 
the aliens are very different from them and that the aliens think you should join us of your own volition. It does not go well. So this is an adventure. Um, it's it's a weird kind of throne room political intrigue type adventure. Um, there are escapes from prison camps. There is a frantic sled ride across the North Pole. There's betrayal. Um, there are there's a there is a friendship. There's like a core friendship with with one of the inhabitants who starts off seeming kind of sketch and gradually becomes uh, a key element of Genli's um, success. It's a really beautiful story and it's set in an incredible and a fascinating kind of thought experiment style sandbox world. Cool. Sounds <laughs> interesting. I love, I love this book. I think in part because it proposes like one step towards utopia. It's not saying this is a perfect world. It's saying so we, we solve these problems when we get rid of these gender norms. Did it make any new problems? <laughs> <laughs> good question new problems well, yeah right so so uh, yeah the 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 honor code is very complex and the honor code ends up um being the source of some some serious tragedy no some spoilers sticky stitches. yeah right so so when we lose this piece we we don't that's not she's not so simplistic as to say listen folks good news i ursula kayla Gwynn, have found the problem and it is gender if we eliminate gender <laughs> we simply do away with all the problems and I love this because she's writing in an era in the seventies, which is a, 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 a time, a time for kind of loud voices and, and for kind of bold stances. And so she's not kind of saying the problem is men or the, even the problem is gender. She's like, Hey, yeah, this, this causes problems. Um, but our issues with each other are deeper than that. Um, the last thing I want to say is that the beauty of the story, and I, I feel like I've been banging this drum a lot on the podcast recently this book packs so much in, but it's not, doesn't feel crowded. So she is such, such an efficiency of world building, of narrative, of especially of character development. Our main character, like it is weird. He is used to a gendered society. And then he's out. He's like different, different, weird, confusing. Um, it's so good. And it's, it's hard to like, you can't sum it up. Beautifully understated. I love this book. Thank you for the opportunity to read it again, Ori. Gentlemen, welcome to Tiffany's, a safe place for you to tell me all the terrible, terrible things about your book without it being held against you. Joe? So... I forgot Tiffany's existed, uh, as I frequently do before this. Uh, however, I, do, I think I do have something because, like I said, I tried to read this book 15 years ago. This book was a big deal. I picked up a copy. I'm like, I'm going to read this book that everyone's talking Are about. Are you buying time right now? No, I bounced <laughs> off it almost immediately. And I think the reason I bounced off it almost immediately is like a lot of, I don't know if it's like capital L literature or if it's like novels that feel a little 18th century. Stuffy. Like, it, it, it felt like it took a while to get to the story, especially because I knew this was a story about an intersex person and that intersex person does not really show up into any meaningful way until 50% of the way through this book. The first half of this book is not about that. It's about how that situation arises. Okay. With slow said, stuffy, uh, really hard I to love, read. Ian yeah, 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 yeah. took 15 years to read. Got it. Ian. <laughs> um, 
I would say this book is not at its best on your first read. It's at its best on your third and then it's better on the fourth. Because it's subtle and dense. Right. This is the kind of book you want to read multiple times. And if you don't have time for that, well, you could take 15 years. You'll still. Yeah, you can take 15 years. You'll still get a ton. Like the first time I read this, I was like, that is a great book. And then I read it again. I was like, okay, this might be one of my favorite books I've read this year. And then I read it again. I'm like, this might be one of my favorite sites. Like it it, it increased like a fine wine. But the first time you're like, okay, good for you. Nice. And that's it. (laughs) Oh, Ian, you lose. Oh, uh, that's brutal. enough of so, you, Ursula K. Le Guin. Oh, <laughs> Ursula K. Le Guin has been put in her place. Goodness. Yeah, I actually do have a question. So, like, who are our front runners? Ursula K. Le Guin with four. John McPhee has to be up there. He's Nick up there. John McPhee Cormac. from this show. I, no, yeah. no. He has a new book. Somebody said he has a new book. Ian about, said he has like, a new book about uh, Nevada. Acorns or or uh lint belly button lint is it mm-hmm. it, well, it regardless it's going to be fascinating um it's called navel gazing <laughs> oh, no. and navel gazing and you uh, oh there's been a lot of karma these are good yeah these are good these are those these are the top runners Litheads, you know what to do head on over to you don't know like podcast.com be like Lori and suggest a theme suggest some books for us to read um we will benefit from them and enjoy them um you can also request a sticky while you're over there and i will mail it to you haven't seen a lot of the sticky requests recently so if you want to you want to re-up that sticker game uh, or just get some to plaster on gas stations around your do it i'm excited for this sticker uh situation to be just a permanent <laughs> it, abs- it absolutely is i feel like there are elves there are sticker elves who are like the the pile doesn't grow smaller. In fact, I think it grows larger. Uh, Lidheads, you can you can uh, engage with us on social media. We're on all the ones that matter and some of the ones that don't. Most importantly, you can tell the bookish friend in your life, and we all know there's just one. They don't know about you don't know about podcast.com yet, and you should go I to them and say... I don't think people talk anymore, though. That's a good problem. Do people hey, see their friends anymore? Here's what you gotta do. Write a book, get it published, people open the book. All it says is you don't know that podcast.com or potentially tweenvogue.com is Tween the other one. Yep. That's right. Check us out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Nick, you asked for an erotic clarinet scene. I Hold on. Let me get my clarinet. clarinet scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is those second cousins um, uh, being a little flirtatious with one no, another. It's not too late, okay. Nick. It's not too I mean, is it too late to get a better quote? Theodora was laying on the couch reading. She had on a spring dress, a pattern of red flowers, her feet were bare, and that was when Milton saw them. The red toenails. Milton had never suspected that Theodora was the kind of girl who would paint her toenails. The red nails made her look womanly, while the rest of her, the thin pale arms, the fragile neck, remained girlish as always. I'm watching the roast, she explained. Where's my mom? She went out. She went out? She never goes out. She did today. Where's my sister? 4-H. Tessie looked at the black case he was holding. Is that your clarinet? Yeah. Play something for me. Milton set his instrument case down on the sofa. As he opened it and took out the clarinet, he remained aware of the nakedness of Tessie's legs. He inserted the mouthpiece and limbered up his fingers, running them up and down the keys, and then, at the mercy of an overwhelming impulse, he bent forward, pressing the flaring end of the clarinet to Tessie's bare knee and blew a long note. She squealed, moving her knee knee away. That was a D-flat, Milton said. You want to hear a D-sharp? Tessie still had her hand over her buzzing knee. a different quote? 
<laughs> the vibration of the clarinet Nick, had set to shiver chubs. all the way up her thigh. She felt funny as though she were about to laugh, but she didn't laugh. She was staring at her cousin thinking, well, you just look at him smiling away. Still got pimples, but he think he's, thinks he's the cat's meow. Where does he get it? All right, she answered at last. Okay, said Milton, D sharp, here it goes. That first day was Tessie's knees. The following Sunday, Milton came up from behind and played his clarinet against the back of her neck. The sound was muffled. Wisps of her hair flew up. Tessie screamed, but not long. Yeah, Dad, said Milton, said, standing behind her. And so it began. He played the begin of beguine against Tessie's collarbone. He played Moonface against her smooth cheeks, pressing the clarinet right up against the red toenails that had so dazzled him. He played it goes to your feet. With a secrecy that they didn't acknowledge, Milton and Tessie drifted off to quiet parts of the house, and there, lifting her skirt a little or removing a sock, or once when nobody was home, pulling up her blouse to expose her lower back, Tessie allowed Milton to press his clarinet to her skin and fill her body with music. At first, it only tickled her, but after a while, the notes spread deeper into her body. She felt the vibrations penetrate her muscles, pulsing in waves until they rattled her bones and made her inner organs hum. And it goes on like this for like three more pages. It's- Do you have another quote, Joe? This is pretty <laughs> creepy. <laughs> I this really, I thought fault. it was Lidheads, sweet. Lidheads, I, I wanted to sweet. say this is Nick and Joe's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.